We're going to open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for everybody who's here. We thank you for the time we've had of just worshiping you in song. Lord, we ask you to be with us now as we worship you in the word and just guide and lead in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And we're going to stop there for this one. And we just want to look at this. He starts out, I exhort therefore. Okay, an exhortation is to beg and to entreat. And this is what most teachers of the word of God try to do with their people, is exhort people to follow God. And this is what Paul is saying. Now we notice I also put in therefore, and I have the pastor's great saying that when you see therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? Okay. Uh, so we see this word therefore, and we need to remember last week we talked about those that were apostate. Okay, so we started out with these people that were apostate, and we're not going to cover the guys that were apostate and what they were doing again, but they were bringing the church down, and he says, I exhort you therefore. Okay, because of their way of lifestyle, I want you to be something different. Okay, and look at what is he asking them first to do? He starts out with, with, with all supplication, prayer, intercession, and giving thanks. Okay? Now, for most of us, we think, well, he just said prayer four times, but each one of those is a very specific activity that he's asking them to do. And they're very similar, and even in the Greek, if you read the Greek books, they'll tell you these are synonyms for each other, and they are, in one sense, synonyms, but they don't mean the same thing. First off, he says, with all supplication. Now, that's a word we don't use very much. But in the day that Paul wrote this, they would have understood this because if you had a grievance, you went to the king with your supplication. I have a request for you, king. I would like you to do something for me. Now, unfortunately, for most of us Christians, supplication is about as far as we ever get in our prayers. We keep asking God for stuff in most cases. God, give me, I need, uh, this person might need. You know, and I think about this sometimes. Now, God is very patient with us, but you know, how tired must he get when all of our prayers to him are, give me, give me or give them? And he wants to give us. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're encouraged to give supplication. Ask God for things. Okay. But you know, how would you feel if every time you saw your kids, their hands were out and say, give me? Now, some of you might know some kids, some of your kids like that, but uh, you know, if your kids are like that, the last one thing you want to do is see your kid. You love your kid, but you don't want to see them because you know their hand is always out. And God is very patient with this, and he asks us, forgive, give him our supplications. God, I need this. You know, and, and as I said, sometimes make sure you're putting other people in there. You know, they need this as well. But, you know, I'm not going to put a lot of time on supplication because we all, supplication is our big deal. Then he says, with all prayer. Now, prayer is just that speaking with God. How many times do we just speak with God? You know, and that might be sometimes a complaint. God, I just don't know why you're letting me go through all of this. And 
you know, and as I say, you know, my answer to God when I, when I go through that is, God, I don't know why you're putting through this, but you have promised that it's going to be for good. Okay? And we've shared many times, it doesn't mean for our good, necessarily. Now, in, in heaven, in the long run, it will be for our good. We will be rewarded in heaven. So in the long stretch of time, it is for our good. But in, our, in this world, it may not seem like for our good. When I'm going through a lot of pain and trials and people are watching me stay faithful, that pain and trial was not for me necessarily, but in the same token, I stayed faithful. So it was for me and it was for good, but it really is for people looking at you and saying, is that how people with follow God handle this? You know, they, they, they stay faithful to God. They stay in tune with God. And you know, it's not easy. It is not easy to follow God through hard times. And if you've been there, you know that I know you know, you know this. It is hard sometimes to stay faithful to God when it seems like all hell is breaking loose against you. You know, and we see in the character of Job, you know, and literally he had all of hell. He had Satan himself coming against him, and he stayed mostly faithful. Toward the end, he was having a little trouble, but that was also with the help of his wonderful friends telling him how bad he must be and how awful he must be, and you must really be a bad sinner for all this stuff happening to you. And after a while, he got a little testy. You know, and it's pretty easy to get that way, especially if you're not being exhorted by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that God has a plan. If they're, all they're doing is criticizing you and telling you, you must really be bad for God to do this to you, you're going to get a little testy. It's hard to stay faithful to God if everybody's telling you you must be really a terrible person. But God has a plan. You know, and all we need to do is be praying to him, talk with God. Just be in communication with him. People ask all the time, how will I know when I hear God's voice? Well, if you talk to God enough, you'll know his voice. Okay? And I like to remember, especially people in our age group, you know, the, the old days when you actually had to pick up a phone to know who was calling. You know, you didn't look at the guy and tell you who was calling. You actually had to pick up the phone. And all you had to do was say hello. And as soon as they said one or two words, unless it was a stranger, you knew who you were talking to. Why? You knew their voice. When we're walking with God, when we're talking with God, when we're in his word, when we're hearing his voice, we know he's talking to us. We know that it's his word. And when you're, you know, listening to something and it's just not his word, it should have alarm bells sounding off. This is not God's word. Uh, I've had several occasions where I just have the radio on in the background, and you all know I listen to Christian teaching 99% of the time. And every once in a while, so these alarm bells will go on in my head. The noise is, it's just kind of noise in the background. I'm going, what did he just say? Because God is saying, pay attention to what's being said. And you'll listen and go, and it's really bad when it's a teacher you trust saying something, you don't, you know, that's off the wall. But, you know, oh, okay, don't pay attention to what he's teaching or change the channel. You know, but, you know, this is what I'm saying. When you hear God's voice, you will know it's his voice. Amen. When it's not his voice and you're spending time with him, you're going to know it's not his voice. Amen. And this is important for us. How do we do that? We spend time in prayer. Part of prayer is listening. Okay? We need to spend time listening. So many of us get so busy talking to God for our prayer. And we go, well, I can't pray for more than five minutes. Well, if you're like me, you can't talk for more than five minutes unless you're preaching. But, you know, but some people can talk forever. Have you ever talked to somebody who goes on for 30, 40 minutes and you don't even get to say anything? You know, uh, <laughs> I see touching and looking at people. No, we don't want to look at that. But you know, how often do we do that with God? 
We just do this running conversation with God, telling him about all of our needs, all of our things. And then if we really get, really get spiritual, God, I want you to do this, and this is how you're going to fix this problem. Hopefully you've never prayed to God that way. I know most of us probably have. God, I think this is the perfect way for you to solve this problem. This person has the money. They could just give me the money, and, you know, and this could work out just fine. And God says, I don't need your help. God never asked us to be his counselors and his advisors. He says he's our counselor and our, our advisor, so we need to be able to listen. Listen in prayer. Listen by reading the word. Some of the best prayer times you're going to have is by opening your, your, the Bible. Pray. We did a class on how to study the Bible, and the, the thing I told everybody was the most important tool that you can use to study the Bible is pray. Pray and ask God to show you what you're going to learn. Now, there are lots of other tools and lots of other avenues to learn the Bible, but you know what? When I was a teenager, I didn't know how to use all those tools, and God kept, and I'd go, God, I need to understand this, and the Holy Spirit would tell me what it meant. When I went to Bible college and learned how to study, you know what I found out? The Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was talking about. <laughs> but now I could prove it. It wasn't just, this is what God said to me. Now I could say, this is why it's true. Okay? And it's very important. Let God talk to you. Go to the next step and learn. <laughs> but let him talk to you and, and explain things to you. The next thing he tells you to do is intercession. Intercession should be those one prayer that we spend a lot of time doing. Intercession is to intercede for somebody else. God, this person needs you, your touch, your help. You know, Daniel prayed for his people when they were in captivity that God would touch them and protect them. Many of the prophets would intercede for their people. Moses, God says, I'm going to destroy all the people and start all over with you. And Moses says, no, you can't do that, God. Your reputation will be ruined. He was doing two intercessions. He was interceding for them and for God's reputation. You can't get rid of them because then everybody will know that, you know, say that you weren't strong enough to take and deliver them like you said you were. Intercession, do we pray for others? How much do we pray for others? It's so critically important that we pray for other people, probably more than we pray for ourselves. God promises he's going to meet our needs. If you're his child, he promises he's going to meet your needs. Amen. Okay. But we can pray for others that God will meet their needs as well supernaturally in mighty ways. One of the greatest things I like to see is God touching other people. You know, letting them know, you know what, I'm praying for you and I'm going to watch what God does in your life and then watch, especially if they're lost. You know, they go, you know, look, at, look, look what God did to you. Look what God did for you. He loves you. And we've talked about this many times. You know, the most powerful thing we can share with people is that God loves them. And you share that with some people and they're going to go, well, you don't know what I've done. And go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have done. God loves you. Now, he loves us so much that Jesus died on the cross for us while we were his enemy. Adam and Eve sinned and God immediately came down and gave the sacrifice and brought them back in because he loves mankind. We need to really understand that God loves us. You know, sometimes we become Christians and we forget that God loves us. And we get this idea of, well, if I'm not serving God just right, he's going to be mad at me and not want to be around me. Why do we get that idea? Well, unfortunately, we as parents are usually pretty bad examples to our kids. You know, we love our kids greatly, but yet how many times do we kind of, you know, don't talk to me right now, I'm mad at you. <laughs> you know, 
We probably learned it from our parents. We learned it from their parents. We learned it from their parents. God isn't that way for us. He says, I love you so much. Come to me. We need to intercede for one another before God and say, God, help this person. And the last type of praise that he goes, and this is one, you know, we kind of weaken all these other ones, but, you know, giving thanks to God. You know, I've sat in a lot of prayer meetings where people go, and God will be careful to give you thanks. And I'm wondering when they say that, is that person ever going to give thanks to God for, their, for what, what they just prayed for? And I'm not their judge, but, you know, it's just a habit. They put it on the end, we'll be careful to give you thanks. And you wonder, did they ever go back to God and say thank you? You know, uh, because we as human beings are very unthankful usually. You know, very unthankful. We have a great problem with saying thank you for even the little things. And the more uncivilized we are getting in our world and drawing away from God, the less thankful we are becoming as a people. Amen. And we need to be careful. Is God in our heart? Are we truly thankful? Are we thankful for what God has given us? Are we thankful when somebody does something kind and, and good for us? And he said, in all thankfulness, give thanks. And Thessalonians, he tells us to give thanks always. <laughs> okay? All through the Psalms, the psalmist is giving thanks to God. Over and over again, the history in the Old Testament was given. This is what God has done for you. He created you. He gave you the sacrifices. He called Abraham. You went into slavery. He took you out of slavery. He gave you his land. And they go over the history so much. And then they will put some kind of phrase in there that you weren't thankful or remember to be thankful. What has God done in your life that you need to be thankful for? Greatest in blessing is that he died for us. He died for us. If he did nothing else but give us his life so that we could go to heaven, that would be enough to be thankful for for the rest of our life. Then he gives us peace that passes understanding and joy and, and, and comfort and says, I am in charge. All things work together for good. We should be the most thankful people that walk the face of the earth. You know, most thankful. And yet, oftentimes we are grumpy and complaining and griping about this, that, and the other thing. And we're all human. We all do it. But you know, we should be looking at God and saying, God, thank you. you know, when, I, when you ask somebody, how are you doing? Well, I'm on, the, I'm on this side of the earth, or you know, it's another day. You know, I thank God that I get up each day and serve him. When I don't have anything to serve him for, I hope I find myself in heaven, not on this world. But when I have another day, I have a chance to serve him, a chance to speak to somebody about Jesus. You know, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to share Jesus with other people and just to be thankful. God, what, what have you got in store for me today? That should be our prayer. God, what have you got in store for me today? Who am I going to meet today to share you with? Will that change the way you look at your day? Or is it just another day? Just another day to trudge through, to get to whatever day it is you want to get to. I don't know what day it is for me. I, I love all days. I, I really love Sunday, so I guess it's, I look forward to Sunday the most. But I look forward to every day because at work I hear, well, it's Friday. It's like, and? <laughs> what, what does Friday mean? It means they go get drunk that night and party all night and forget and, and don't, don't remember what they did on all day Saturday as they're recuperating. Now, okay, what fun you're having. <laughs> what fun you're having. What, what a thankful th thing to be thankful for. We as Christians can be thankful that every day we get to minister for something. 
God has a divine appointment for us every single day, at least one, and probably lots of them, to be able to minister to people, maybe even to one another. Now, to the lost world, but also to one another, encouraging one another, loving on one another, building people up. And he says these prayers are to be made for all men. Okay? For all. Not just a select few. Not just for your friends. Jesus says to love your enemy, do good to those who despitefully use you. We Christians have a hard calling. The person that you can't stand when you see walking down the street who you know is going to be mean to you and God says be nice to them. Be kind to them. Why? Because his love is what's going to win them. His love will be what wins. And we need to be very careful about this because it is so easy to say, God, I just can't stand this person. And I'm going to tell you if that's your attitude toward that person, they're going to be in your face an awful lot. You know, God will make sure. And if, it's, and if you move away so you don't have to face that person, you'll put somebody just like them in your life somewhere else. Why? Because he wants you to learn to love those type of people. Jesus came to this world and was hated. You know, he said that they hated him, they're going to hate us. If we are walking in the spirit of God, bringing God into the situation, people are going to not like you being around. They may not even know why they don't like you being around because you don't even have to say anything if God's pouring out of you. All they know is they feel convicted. You haven't said a word, but God is pouring out of you and they're going, I just don't like that person. I don't know why. And then you open your mouth and share God with them, and then they know why they don't like you. <laughs> but, you know, we need to be that type of person, putting forth God's presence with people. And if it wasn't enough for all men, he says, and for kings and for all in authority. Now, this is something that most of us probably forget very frequently, praying for our leaders. You know, and I've heard a lot of questions, well, I don't like the leaders in, my, in, in the country right now. You know what? I can agree with you. There's lots of our leaders I don't like. But you know what? God put them in place there. Probably because we deserve the judgment that they're bringing upon us by being who they are. But you know, God says, pray for them. What can God do in their life? Oh, I have no idea. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most wicked kings of his lifetime, had a great change in his life because of Daniel's presence and prayers for him and eventually becomes a follower of God. Okay? Now, would anybody have believed when Daniel went into captivity with Nebuchadnezzar, who would cut people's heads off, burn them, and all these wonderful things that he did, would he become a follower of God? But why did he become? Daniel prayed for him. Daniel's friends probably prayed for him. What changes could we have in our country if we started praying for our leaders? What changes could we have if we voted biblically for our leaders in the first place? You know, but you know, are we honoring our leaders? Are we lifting them up and saying, God, help them make decisions, make them make godly decisions? You know, we're supposed to be a country full of Christians. Now, I believe that the statistics are way overrated on how many Christians we have in this country that are actually Christians. But you know, if even the ones who are Christians were to start praying for our country, praying for revival, what kind of change would we have? This country has had two great awakenings, and each one of them started by prayer. 1700s and the 1800s both started with prayer. 
1900s if you count the Jesus movement, which did make a great impact in this country. Not quite as much as the first two Great Awakenings, but it made a great impact in this country. People were noticing God moving. We're in the 20th century. Maybe it's time for another re revival. Maybe we're too close to the rapture. I don't know. But you know what? I'm going to pray for a revival. But the revival must start in the churches. The churches must start with a revival in them, with people turning their hearts over to God and living God's way. Amen. Not by just rules and, you know, that I must do these things, but having God change who you are. We're told that when we become a Christian, we become a brand new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all, become, all things become new. If you're a Christian, you're going to change. Not because you're trying to. You're not trying to go in there with your whip in a chair trying to tame the flesh. The flesh is to be crucified. And when it's crucified, God comes out. It is wonderful. I've told people the easiest life to live is a Christian life if you let God do it through you. You just let God crucify you. And then he comes out. If you're trying to do it, you know, the hardest things I ever have tried to do is try to live God's way. God, I am going to work real hard. I'm going to strive to live right. Every time it fails. God says, I want to crucify it. I want to crucify your flesh, and I want to live out of you. So we're to pray for our rulers and all those in authorities. Why? He puts the word that. That we might lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. If we have a righteous government, things are better. Now, our country was built on righteous principles, on the morality and standards of God. And for years, it was a country that had, not most of the old Christians, but at least godly morality overall. We have fallen so far. And when you really study our early history and you see how far we've fallen, it is so scary to know that every time we speak as a Christian, people might say that what you're saying is bad. We speak what God says is good, and they say it's bad. They say what's bad is good. How hard is it becoming to live as a Christian? becoming very difficult. You know, we in America have been extremely blessed, and I've said this over and over. We have been so blessed that we have not been under great judgment and, and tribulation and trials. Right now, every year, more people die for Christ in our world than the first century altogether. Every year. And we in America don't know what trials and tribulation are. You know, I got, I, got, I got really abused this week. Somebody made fun of me. <laughs> oh, big deal. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody's got a gun to your head to kill you yet. Nobody's telling you that if you say Jesus Christ's name, you're going to go to prison. It's coming. It is coming. Get ready for this to come. How far down, I don't know, but I know that it's coming. Because if you're, in the, if you're in the world and you start even saying something like homosexuality is a sin and wrong before God, you can lose a job in a lot of places. Okay? If you say that fornication is a sin, you're going to get in trouble with a lot of people. It is coming. You want to tell them that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Oh my goodness, that's a terrible thing to be telling people. Telling people the truth is going to get us in trouble. And we're coming to a time when it's going to really get us in trouble. And we need to be ready as Christians. Put it in your mind. The American gospel is 
Come to Jesus and everything's going to be good and hunky-dory and you're going to have all these blessings. What a lie that most of the people are being told. Amen. Jesus says you come to him and you're going to be hated. The world hated me. They're going to hate you. There are going to be tortures. There's going to be trials for us. And he also says, woe to you if all men speak good of you. Now that doesn't mean go out and be bad and say everyone talks bad about you, but it means when we go out and we live a Christian life, it's going to irritate people. Yes, it is. That, that pastor, that Christian over there, you know, they're gonna, they don't believe in what you're doing. They're going to say that it's wrong. They're going to tell you that your religion is wrong. They're going to tell you that the book you're reading is wrong. They're going to tell you that being good won't get you to heaven. Praise God. I hope, that's our, I hope that's what they're saying about all of us in this church and all that listen to us on the Internet. Because it, that is being a Christian, standing up for what God stands up in a world that's against God and getting worse and getting darker. But he says, if we have godly government that we've been praying for, we get to live in peace. But that's probably not necessarily the best thing sometimes, that peace. You know, and it says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of Christ our Savior. You know, we can live at peace no matter what's going on if we really want to focus on God. And I've shared with you, my favorite scripture outside of Galatians 2.20 is Romans 8.28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Why? Because it tells me God's in charge. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter what is going on in somebody else's life, if they're God's child, he's got a plan for it. And do you know how much peace you can have when you just say, God, you have a plan? I don't understand it. Half the time I don't understand what God's plan is. But you know what? God never told me he's going to tell me what the plan is. You know, when, I, when I ran businesses, I didn't always tell my employee what the plan is and where we were going. When I was raising my kids, I didn't always tell my kids what the plan is and where we're going. I just said, this is what we're doing. Now, I'm trying, you know, it doesn't mean that I was God, but you know, God's plan is perfect. My plans didn't always work out perfect, but... You know, we want to keep in mind, God has a plan for us. You know, many months ago, we had the, the saying on the PowerPoint that says, God's perfect plan is what I would choose if I knew everything. You know, keep this in mind. When you're going through something really hard, and it seems terrible to you, remember that it is exactly what you would choose to have happen to you if you knew everything. And I'm not talking about everything right that moment. I'm talking about everything in the future. If I know what's going to happen 30 years from now, what I'm going through at that moment that may seem extremely painful may be just what I need to go through. It may be just what somebody needs to see me go through <laughs> so that they can come to Christ. You know, we never know what it might mean. We go through a hard time in our life and then somebody else comes up later and says, you know, you really impressed me when you went through that. You stood strong for God. You stepped serving for God. You, in, you encouraged me to go forward and live for God. We don't know why we're going through what we go through. When you get to heaven, you may have people come up to you that you never even knew were looking at you, saying, you know, I watched you. I'm here because of your actions and, the, and whatever it might be. You know, our actions speak very loud to people. When they see Christians being hypocrites, saying they love people and then blasting people, 
They go, oh, um, they're, just, they're just like us. There's nothing special about this Christian stuff. We need to live in that lifestyle that says, God, I want you to live through me. Showing his love, showing his forgiveness. And then the last verse I just want to cover, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. God's desire, his wish, is that all men are going to be saved, snatched from hell. And we know that not all are going to be snatched from hell. There's a lot of people out there who will say, well, it doesn't matter what you do. Jesus died for you. You'll all go to heaven. No. If you do not accept the gift that Jesus gave you, you will not go to heaven. Amen. Okay? Uh, you're not going to go to heaven by being good enough. Okay? You don't get saved and then live good enough life to go to heaven. It's by Jesus' sacrifice and his sacrifice only and it's his desire that we come into the knowledge of truth. And the word here for knowledge is epigenosis, which means overabundant, complete knowledge. Okay, how do we get saved? We get to know Jesus completely. How do we get to know Jesus? We go into prayer, we, go, we get into the word, we get into a good church and get taught. We get into good Bible studies. We spend time getting to know him. And the most important thing I'm going to share with you, and it's kind of to the choir when we preach it here, is you go to church. And it's not church that gets you saved. It's not church that makes you grow. But you know one thing I have seen over my years of walking with God? Those who want to be Lone Ranger Christians fail. They do not grow. Why? Because we need the strength. The example is you take a glowing ember out of the fire and set it over on the side rock. It doesn't, it doesn't stay glowing very long. You may be on fire for God, but you will burn out very quickly if you're trying to do it alone. We need each other. We need each other that when you fall, you come along and say, you know what? Hey, come on back up. God loves you. I love you. Now, sometimes at a church, we don't do that very well. There have been many people who have been hurt by church, church members. Many things about that. Number one, we need to get over that when it happens. And it's not easy. It's not easy to get over that. But realize that that person's not the best example of who the Christian body's supposed to be. They're, they're a cancer within the body. They might not even be a believer. And we can't make that judgment, but you know, we're to love one another. We're to lift each other up. And when we come across somebody who doesn't treat us that way, it's our chance to love them and forgive them. Okay? And it's hard, and I understand that it's hard. But you know what? God's going to keep putting those people in our way for the rest of our life. Amen. Always, always going to put people that are hard to love, hard to forgive in our life. Why? Because he wants us to grow. And they're just human. And you know what? When we forgive them, it might just turn out to be the best person that we ever get to know later on down the road because we've learned to forgive. And I've seen that happen more than once. You go, I don't know if I'd ever be able to talk with this person, hang out with this person. And then 10 years later, you're going, you know what? I really like this person. They've grown. And it may not happen. It may happen. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. We're going to spend eternity with the, with the body of Christ. We better get used to them. At least in eternity, they'll be, they'll be perfect. <laughs> but, you know, we need to get used to them. The body needs each other. We need to lift one another up. We need to encourage one another. And you know, one of the things we have to be so careful of is not to judge one another. 
Now, it is easy for us to judge. And usually what ends up happening, we judge them by on what I'm good at. Okay? You know, I am really good in being able to do this, and that person's not very good at it. I'm not going to go judge them by what I'm failing in. <laughs> you know, that's the problem with judging. Jesus said, get the beam out of your own eye before you try to help the brother get a speck out of it, because usually we're after their speck in an area that we think we have great success in, and we don't even have the success we think we do in that area. You know, we need to be careful. We need to be loving one another. And as I've said so many times, if you're not praying for somebody, do not be trying to help them in their life. If you don't love them enough to pray for them, do not be trying to help them. Amen. Okay, because if you don't love them enough to pray for them to have God help them, you don't love them. And you shouldn't be talking to them about their sin, no matter how bad it irritates you. Pray for them. And the one thing I have learned over the years, and I've said this so often, the one thing I have learned, when you start praying for somebody, God changes you and you get a heart for the, to love them even more and you really get to the place where you don't care about their sin. And I've shared with you, when I was young and firstly married, first married, I used to pray for Lynn, God to change Lynn all the time. After a while, I just decided uh, God was changing me. I'll just ask him to change me. But that's also the way I pray for others now. God, change my heart toward these people. God, help them, but help my heart change. And I've said this so many times, and I believe God has changed my heart. In the process, he might be changing them. But you know, when, my, when he's changing my heart, I don't care whether he changes that person or not, because that's between them and God. All he's doing is giving me a love for them and a forgiveness for them. And it doesn't matter to me anymore whether he changes them or not, because he's making me more loving. You know, and that's toward anybody. Our heart should be, God, help me love this person Help me forgive this person. Be able to extend grace. You know, grace is what will help people grow. You know, and anytime you try to apply God's laws to people, you know, I don't know about you, and I've shared this with you all, you, know, you tell me I can't do something, and the very first thing I'm thinking of is why not? You know, who, who are you to tell me why can't I do this? You know, uh, especially if it makes no sense. <laughs> But you know, if you tell me I have liberty and grace and I'm to love you, there'll be a lot of things I give up just because I don't want to hurt somebody else. And that's what Paul says. We have liberty as Christians to do just about anything. But our liberty stops where it hurts somebody else. Why? Because I love them enough to not want to hurt them. And his example was when he was talking to the Corinthians about eating meat offered to an idol. He says, there's no problem with eating meat offered to an idol. It was a, offered to a block of stone or, or a golden statue. Who cares? He goes, but if you've got a brother who's offended by it, who's struggling with the idea of that meat being offered to an idol, don't eat that meat. Okay? We need to be careful. Are we doing things that hurt other people? Now, of course, it's partially their problem. <laughs> okay? But you know, if we knowingly do it, it's also our problem. We're becoming a cancer in the body that's trying to hurt somebody if we do it knowingly that it hurts them. We should be able to love them enough to say, okay, I'm not going to do it. If it bothers you, I'm not going to do it, at least in your presence. <laughs> you know, because it hurts you, I'm not going to do it. And this is what he's saying. We are to walk. God wants us to know the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. We got to know Jesus. How do we know Jesus? The Bible. You know, he is the Word. 
Every word of this book is true. Every word of this book is important. And we've shared with you, if anything is wrong in this book, throw the book away and don't follow Jesus because it's not worth following. If I had to pick and choose what's right in this book, I have a problem. How many Christian churches are doing just that in this day and age? Well, we're going to follow this. We're not going to follow this. This, is, this was true. This was true back then, but it's not true now. Oh, no. If you're picking and choosing what, what God said and what he hasn't said, you've got a problem. If I can't trust his word, I've got a problem. Now, I've, I've shared with you, I've only been studying it for 46 years, but you know what? I have never found anything wrong with it yet. Now, I started a few years of studying, and the rest, you know what I know? I'm not going to find anything wrong with it. Because if I found anything wrong with it, I'd throw it away and not follow Christ. Because it wouldn't be worth following. If I can't trust his word, I can't trust anything. And this is so important for us to understand. His word is true. When I read his word, if I don't understand it, my question should be, as, as Dr. McGee said, where he and the Bible disagree, he's wrong. Okay? When you find something that you don't think is right in the Bible, your, your understanding of it is wrong. You need to go back in and find out, why don't I understand this? And I'm going to tell you, there are things that are hard to understand in the Bible. But if I start with the, the understanding that it is true, then I can be taught why it's true. The Holy Spirit can teach me. I can find a teacher who can teach me. I can go and ask, what does this mean? Because I don't understand it. The Word of God is a very simple book and the most complex book you're ever going to read. Amen. Any child can get an understanding out of the Word of God when they read it because of the Holy Spirit teaching them. And any extremely intelligent person can spend their entire lifetime studying the Word of God and finding new things in it. God's going to meet you where you're at when you're, when you're talking to him, when you're studying. When you've been studying it like I have for 46 years, he's going to teach you deeper things in there for you to be able to teach others. When you're young, and I've shared with you how many times you've read the Bible, and I love to do this when I'm reading, and go, God, when did you put that verse in that book? I, you know, I read the Bible every year, and I go, God, that, that wasn't there last year when I read it. You know, and I know I'm teasing with God on that, because I'm now I'm at a place where God says, pay attention to this verse. And I know each one of you have probably been there. If you're reading God's word, you've been there. Well, all of a sudden, you read a verse and say, God, I've never seen this verse here. You know, I don't remember ever seeing this, this verse. And if you're doing what I've asked, I know you've read it because we've read the Bible through every year, so you've read it. But God says, now you're ready. This is the verse for you to pay attention to today. This verse is going to change your life today. God is wonderful. He meets us where we're at. He's not going to tell you, uh, you know, well, I know you're a new Christian. You become a Christian yesterday, but I want you to be a 20-year-old Christian. He's not going to be like that. How often do we do that with each other, though? Well, I know you just become a Christian, but why are you still doing this, this, that, or the other thing? We need to learn to be patient with people. Love them. Let them grow. Because I don't want to be judged by anybody that's at a higher standard than me either. I don't want somebody going, well, you know, you've been walking with God for 46 years. You should be, you should be where I'm at. I've been following him for 80 years, and you should be doing this, this, and this. You know, God works with us each at a level that we're at. And we need to be able to love him where we're at. But the most important thing is we're going to grow. He is going to grow us. If you're still the same place today as you were 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 5 years ago, 
You've got a problem between you and God that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Okay? Uh, if you're not growing, you've got a problem. If you're just always telling people, well, you just got to accept me. I am who I am. You know, well, yes, there is a truth that they need to accept you and you are who you are, but you better be growing. <laughs> okay? If you're not growing, then you need to look at your life and say, God, you and I need to know each other better. <laughs> We've got a problem in my life, God. I need to, I need to grow. Because God is the one that's going to grow you. If you had a child and your child is you know, nursing on a bottle and they're less than a year old, that's okay. If your child is still laying in the crib at 30 years old, sucking on a bottle, you've got a big problem. I've met Christians who say they've been a Christian for 20, 30 years still wanting a bottle. Feed me, feed me. And matter of fact, don't even give me milk. Give me watered down milk because I can't even handle milk. That person needs to come find a relationship with God because they've got a problem. If you're not growing and saying, God, I want more than watered down milk, I want meat and potatoes. I want some hard truth from you, God. And you haven't been walking with God for 15, 20, 30 years. That's a good place to be at. If you've only been walking with God for a while, praise God. Drink all the milk you want. <laughs> but start looking to be fed more. We're going to close in prayer here. And I just want to encourage us as we're going forward to look to serve God. Find out what he's wanting you to do. Who is he asking you to minister to in your life? Because every morning he's got plans for you. I like, going, I like going to the prison. There's lots of guys that need a lot of help out there in the prison. But you know what? There's a lot of guys everywhere else that need help when I'm going about my business. It is wonderful to be able to just share Christ. Lift them up. Show them and teach them. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to love others. Lord, teach us to be able to ask every morning, Lord, who is it you want me to be able to minister to today? Help us to grow in you. Help us to be able to pray for our leaders and for revival to come, Lord. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.